What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number eight. We have an unbelievably epic podcast. We're coming at you guys from Wisconsin, basically middle of nowhere. Um, I have two awesome guests. First time we've ever done three people on the HyperChat, so this should be really exciting. Maddie Mogul, who was the first ever guest on the HyperChat, founder of Tomb Dips, also um, amazing Tesla bull analyst. And then, of course, we got Rob from Tesla Daily, who's been on HyperChange before amazing tesla podcast if you guys don't know about it already you're sleeping and you should definitely be following it if you're watching hyperchange um so anyway stoked to have you guys on uh to talk about tesla these are the two people that when something goes down about tesla and i want to scheme with someone immediately they're the first two people i call and so this is why i'm really excited to basically have one of those type of conversations but on the podcast thank you guys for coming on by the way taking the time yeah thanks for coming all the way out dude no problem (laughs) a little closer for rob uh, six hours still. Yeah, six yeah. hour drive for him. Um, but yeah, I thought we could start with, you know, the Q2 numbers. I guess those are hot off the press. I haven't put out much content about it. But, you know, my quick take is 95K, better than the 90K of the leaked emails. Uh, they hit their own guidance, which I thought no one thinks they're going to do. I mean, they're exceeding my expectations. This was the first real quarter where we got over that international delivery hump, the tax credit cliff. I felt like really normalized. And so to see it be a record quarter, I think validates a lot of the sort of theories that Tesla is really, you know, creating a huge disruption in the auto market, taking big share. So I was really pumped on that, but on a more granular level, just the fact that I think we could be profitable this quarter with that level of deliveries. Um, Tesla's guided for not a profit. So I'm kind of hoping Elon is like secretly sandbagging there. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm pumped. So I'm curious what you guys' kind of like quick take is on, on the Q2 numbers. Even $1 of profit, I would be cool with because that gives the odds of S&P 500 induction for Tesla um, a lot better odds because, what is it? It's the last four. Well, I think they need, so it's the last four, four in summation need to be profitable, and then it's yeah. the most recent is supposed to be. Yeah. That's more of a guideline than a requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they need like 220 or something, something in the 200 range of profit to be cumulatively over the last four quarters profitable. To offset Q1's so offset Q1. debacle. Yep. Okay. But three and four, I mean... Three and four were strong within the Q2 last year, and then Q1 was obviously Okay, so we very need negative. 200 mil of profit. Something in that range. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. And, I mean, if you saw what happened with Twitter after they got inducted into the S&P 500, that was a great short-term catalyst and kind of took off. Um, so I think that could be an underrated short-term catalyst for Tesla. And, you know, just for the people watching her, maybe a little bit le- like less informed about what that means, you know, the, the it's basically a structural inclusion in this huge group of stocks that a massive amount of institutional capital, mutual funds, index funds all have to start acquiring Tesla. So I'm curious, like, do you have any back of the napkin numbers on what type of volume or like what type of, you know, are we talking a couple billion dollars, a couple percent of the companies at five, 10 percent? Yeah, I've I've read a little bit about it. I don't haven't done any like firsthand research into it. But from what I've seen, maybe five to 10% seems to be kind of like what people would expect, which I know doesn't seem huge. But I think that would probably add a lot of stability to to Tesla too, because you then have, you know, essentially like a long term shareholder in all those index funds that are coming in and owning Tesla. So I think it would provide a little bit more of a floor and stability to the stock that we definitely haven't really seen as of late. Um, which would be a big benefit. Yeah, those institutions that are trying to mimic the S&P 500. So even during bad times, they would still, you know, they buy it initially to reflect that index and then they don't sell even if things get tough. And that multiplied with um, 
how many people are betting against Tesla that are short Tesla. Mm -hmm. And that could be like a double, you know, right. a double boost. Yeah. I'm kind of, do you guys have any insight on the short numbers? Cause it's been impressive how rapidly the, I think we're at like what? 45 million record. Yeah, I think it's like 42 numbers. now. The last report was 45 prior to that, which was both all time highs. I mean, now we're at like the second all time high, but it's definitely high. I don't know in terms of like the percent of float if we're at an all time high, just cause over time, obviously there's been shares added. Yeah. Um, but it's a tie, <laughs> regardless. Isn't I mean, like forty-two thirty percent or something, something like that. Yeah, in the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, crazy high. It's huge. So, I'm not a big short squeeze person. Like, I don't think that's really going to happen. It never really has with Tesla. I mean, there's been you know what I like to call short covering rallies. You know, back in 2013, I think we saw kind of one of those. Yeah, but I think that was kind of a short squeeze. Yeah, as much as like a short mini short squeeze, squeeze or whatever. Yeah. And, it, and it's short term thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you just got to not focus on much. it. Like, yeah. It'll be nice if something like that happens because that then would hopefully lower the short interest. But who knows? Maybe then it comes right back after spiking up. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's not something I, I hang my hat on looking yeah. forward to or anything like that. I'm glad you said that. And if value analyst is watching, they need to pay attention <laughs> that a short squeeze is not really what we want or should care about because a short squeeze implies like an <clears throat> irrational move away from the fundamentals. And that's why people right. get so excited. You know, we're in Tesla because we think the fundamentals are justifying that upside. Yeah. If you're waiting on the short squeeze, you're you're betting on weird market dynamics. That's what your trade is. Your trade isn't the fundamental company. Mm -hmm. And so I think Tesla's gonna go up way up just because the fundamentals are gonna prove it, not because we need a short squeeze. Yeah. You know, that's why I kinda think Elon's bout with the shorts are, is kinda interesting. It is. But then over the long term too, like as that short interest declines, like that removes shares from the market because every time a share is sold short, two people have to buy it. So it essentially like increases the shares out there, which as supply goes up, I mean, the price comes down, um, just basic economics. So over time, like as Tesla improves and, you know, gets more stability through things like S&P 500 inclusion or consistent cash flow positive or consistently breaking even, um, hopefully that short interest declines and that effect effectively has the um, impact of removing shares from the market, which again, increases the stock price over mm -hmm. time. Even if it's not like a squeeze, it's still nice to have yeah. that short and, interest. And this is where when people down. are talking like the fundamentals for Tesla, everyone likes using PE and it's like, okay, you can, you've basically got a lever and you can either pull it up towards growth or down towards profit. So, I mean, we want this company to grow. If it's going to be one of the most valuable companies in the world, we need to grow the top line revenue. It needs to be a massive tech titan. Um, so we don't want them to profit until the business matures, right? So that's where I think when people are talking valuation and fundamentals, PE is the exact wrong way to look at it. And it should be more on a revenue sales multiple uh, in comparison. And they're at what, like just over one Probably right now like two ish right now yeah it dropped down to like 1.4 not that long ago when it was in what it, the 180 for 20 for 2019 trailing 12 estimate. months i'm pretty sure yeah i'm saying 2019 remember, yeah so it'll be like just over one maybe one and a half short term mm -hmm. which isn't a bad valuation metric no, i mean the s p 500 trailing 12 months trades at you know like two and a half yeah sales, people would say automakers are, are much lower than right the yeah. average automakers are like they're like 0. 0. 0. 0.4 0. 0.5 yep I think that's a combination of them being disrupted and being hybrid financial institutions as well. Like that, I think that's su supremely overlooked. Is mm -hmm. Ford and GM are essentially 
like have financing arms in our banks that are actually collateralized by ICE vehicles. You know, they have all these auto loans and leases and the actual asset backing them is these ICE cars, which my theory is like, that's a house of cards, the used value of those. The entire, you know, pricing theory structure of how the trajectory of the value of those cars is, is gonna be screwed. So Mm -hmm. I think the market's smarter than people think, and that's a reason for the depression of the multiples of legacy automakers. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think when we look back on this, like five or 10 years from now, we're just going to see that that top line revenue skyrocketed. And if the stock price doesn't keep up with it, then that that sales multiple keeps getting contracted and contracted and contracted until it's such a good deal that the stock has to catch up. Exactly. And we're not that far away from them matching the other automakers, which I think is like, yeah, like 0.5 to 0.6 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could be what, like two years until yeah, we're probably, there and I mean, then, and then they're still less than that and then they're still growing super quickly so it's only going to contract from there so that's where i think it's really difficult to talk about tesla valuation using some metrics like pe when it should be probably more revolving around the sales conversation and i feel like there's a bigger we're, we're hitting on a bigger issue here which is like the amazon thing i know a lot of people don't like that comparison but i think it's so in terms of fiscal engineering yeah. strategy it's really the exact <clears throat> same model which is if you don't if you're putting cash on your balance sheet and accumulating profits it's because you don't have capital to invest interest rates are so low right now that i think there's this like it's almost a sign that you don't have things to grow and invest in so if you want a company like you're saying to capture that opportunity you want them to maximize all their cash flow throw it right back in the business and that's why i was i kind of wanted to press you on okay so we see the price sales thing but we have to be looking at profitability on some level so the way i do that is like operating cash flow you know, so we can see what the business is actually doing. Um, and there, Tesla's been really, really strong, and especially on a trailing 12-month basis. I'll put up the chart right now so people can see, but if you look, if you kind of average out the lumpiness of the quarters, one thing that I get think is totally being overlooked in the Tesla story is the cash flow profiles improving. You know, they're getting to the point where they can actually fund their business themselves, get the flywheel going, re- you know, increase that revenue, drive that growth without raising outside capital. And they went like a year and a half without raising any outside capital or something like that before they just did mm-hmm. the raise, which was like the longest in Tesla history. And so I think that's kind of the piece of the story why I've been getting more excited in purchasing shares is because I feel like there's this huge disconnect in that the growth has always been there and now the cash flow story is is finally catching up. Yeah, and that's where technically the value of any company is all the future cash flows discounted back to today, right? And so that top line revenue is going to be in the future, which should hopefully be big will be multiplied by the gross margin which is also better than other automakers on average or at least will be when they're at scale so you multiply that top line revenue by that better gross margin and cash flow is going to be great and so that doesn't even factor in the robo taxi network totally and so give us some back of the napkin numbers there in terms of like you're thinking 100 billion in revenue from the Bev business. Why is Rob smiling? <laughs> I'm just waiting to see what Maddie Mogul comes up with all these numbers. <laughs> yeah, you're always pressing me. It's like pretty difficult. I mean, Elon said basically 50% growth every year for the next decade, and that was what, like a few, two or three years yeah. ago? So. I mean, I think the best way to look at it is kind of look back from Elon Musk's compensation plan that was approved by the board yep. two years ago or whatever, and I think the the low end of that is they need to be a hundred billion dollar market cap. And there's, I, th- I can't remember the other two metrics that he needs to hit, but at the top end, the compensation um, plan maxes out at 650 billion market cap. So if we're talking price to sales, like you're looking at 
maybe a 400 million or 400 billion dollar revenue company if we're you know pretty compressed there mm-hmm. um and i think that matches up with the 50 percent growth rate over that time yeah so we'd have to you know work through the math on that um but i think long term like that's kind of what what they aspire to is, is like you know half a trillion in revenue is yeah. so over 10xing from the revenue now basically mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like the price of sales should go up if Tesla can show that they have that um, pricing power to get margins um, higher than the rest of the automakers, obviously. Mm -hmm. And they've got a lot of ability to do that with, um, obviously, their software competency being much higher than any of the legacy automakers. Yeah. And then you throw in the potential of the robo taxi network and just how big of a game changer that business model is and the margins. Yeah, that's much. just like that just like breaks everything. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, feel like you gotta, I mean, art does this like they have their model kind of without that and then they have their model like with it. Mm-hmm, and it's like mm-hmm. the model with it bull case four thousand dollars. So, yeah, the the only way that uh, it doesn't work out well for Tesla is if they have the without angle and somebody else has the with Gets the with. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the worst case scenario is yeah. somebody else figuring out level t- uh, five ride sharing network and tesla is just still building electric vehicles without that yeah i mean there's so many advantages that first of all i think the skateboard technology there you know as a fallback could they have value if they need to be buying a ton of skateboards the best battery cells and they have huge production that's almost seems like a a nice fallback and then the fleet advantage is something i keep coming back to like that just seems you know whether you like tesla's approach or not this concept of data is, is the answer i think paying engineers to drive around is just so backwards you got to get the cars in the customer's hands and let them do the driving for you and training the neural net. And I just think, you know, there's no example of that mm-hmm. at all. Right. Um, and actually, one thing I wanted to kind of build on with this is that the recent price increases of fully self-driving, like you were saying, the software competency hitting the gross margin structure. I think this is a very underlooked part of the thesis that we don't even have to wait for the full robo taxi thesis to unfold to start, um, you, you know, sort of accruing like financial success from mm-hmm. it in terms of they can sell the fully self-driving package. These features have higher gross margin. So do you think about that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like it, you don't, like you're saying, you don't need to be level five to start adding value to the customer, which in turn adds value to the company. And we've already seen that from Tesla for the last, you know, four or five years that autopilot has existed. That's been the leading driving assisting software hardware combination on the market in that time, you know, with maybe some exceptions in some small areas with like Cadillac Super Cruise or whatever. But um, for the most part, Tesla's providing the the best value there for the customer um, and really the only option in terms of driving assist that adds, you know, more than like lane keeping. Yeah, um, well, major safety and safety, it's just yep. really cool. Yep. And it's all gross margin right. as well. And it adds to Tesla's brand, obviously, in terms yeah. of just being you know the technology leader and yeah frontier um, kind of pioneer yep like you have a model 3 and you paid for the fsd right yes yeah so what would can you walk us through like why did you do that or the <clears throat> consumer i'm just as a tesla fan yourself why were you why did you think it was worth it uh well at the time it was like 5000 for enhanced autopilot for sure doing that and then at the time, it was if you pay three thousand more dollars up front, it's going to be five if you activate later, uh, and I'm not going to mm. miss out on any like you know full self driving feature complete kind of advances. I wanna I want to own the product and know exactly what it is capable of and how quickly it gets better. Which I mean, I've had it for 
almost exactly one year now. And mm-hmm. it's just really, really cool to see how far my car has come in that time. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, you can also roll it into your loan as well. So instead of, it's not an extra three grand out of pocket, it's $3,000 more into your loan that you're paying over time. So I just thought it was the right financial move for me. And when you say it's getting better over time, I'm mm-hmm. curious if you could give like a couple nuggets of like, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think the, the two biggest ones would be summon and navigate on autopilot. Um, and then past that, it's just like the way that enhanced autopilot works, it just gets smoother. And then all of a sudden you've also got automated lane changes and it's just getting better and better. And then all of a sudden it's exiting for you. Now, recently they just started recognizing stoplights. It'll blow right through right now, but at least now it recognizes them. And if you're going to, it gives you an audible sound. These are all uh, things that didn't happen when I first got my car and we have like a clear line of sight to what we experienced at Tesla Autonomy Day with the full self-driving demo where not only does it recognize the stoplights and stop signs, but it's actually stopping for those uh, events. It's, it's really fascinating. I think part of the reason the market doesn't get it, even I struggle with this, is because it's such a different way society will work when you don't need to have a driver in the car. Like it's just one of the biggest technological shifts of society. And so it's just really hard to wrap your brain or I think around how big that business could be, how exciting it could be. Like we're trying to, you know, everyone's getting excited about the modeling and the financial part. I think like the psychology part and the real human part is what we should be talking about more. Like you have to get in a car that with no one else in it and mm-hmm. trust it to drive you. That's the part I freak out about all the time is we're, I'm driving Matt's Tesla and it's like on autopilot and I'm like, I don't like this. I just <laughs> drive, you know, like you gotta get used to it. It starts beeping here and there. Like there's definitely yeah. a learning curve, but I think, uh, that's just kind of the part I find really interesting is, you know, the consumer adoption piece, I think, is going to be really where the rubber meets the road. And the, the no person in the car thing, like the full kind of hardware stack that's capable of full self-driving. What is it? October 2016. Is that what they said? Every car built after that? Yeah. When they started doing autopilot, too. Yeah. Yeah. So but the other thing and I was listening to your podcast with Sam Chorus from ARK Invest, and that's where. Uh, I completely forgot that that the current SNXs don't have the interior cabin cam. And that is mm-hmm. an underrated, it's like a small but key piece of the puzzle. And I think that's another kind of hint that there is a refresh coming because that's actually pretty crucial. What are they going to do, retrofit? I mean, I feel like the theory there would be like the Model 3 is kind of like the fleet, like self-driving fleet vehicle. Cause it's more designed for that and obviously it's a cheaper car to build than you know like a model s or model x where those are more yeah. like you're buying them for some of the performance model x a little bit different because it's got more capacity obviously but god the x would be such a great ride sharing it, the car, x would though. be, but like, <laughs> It'd be once perfect the model, once the model y is out that becomes less of a factor versus yeah. um well, more people more space depends yeah. what you need for sure but and let's talk about the snx refresh while we're on it because it's just been like it's it's killing me because i think like it's coming it's coming it's coming they do project raven it's like this isn't really it but i get so excited because i feel like this is the cash the cash flow cow the company you know and the brand you know like you said the interior camera doesn't look as good the touchscreen doesn't seem as good of the premium vehicles so as an as a product nerd i don't like that the top end vehicles are kind of not quite as good in some ways as the model 3 and then i think we're seeing that play out in the numbers for the first time ever now that model 3 is there it's cannibal i mean this is what apple did they're cannibalizing their own products with something that's cheaper and better. Mm-hmm. So 
that's all amazing. But I think the refresh to me, and maybe this is why they guided in the in the deliveries for increasing demand, and everyone's kind of like, where is this going to come from? The new tax credit cliff, all the you know initial buyers dried up. I think they're gonna if they come out this SNX refresh, every Tesla nerd, like I think that's what people are underestimating. Like these like really people who own like five Teslas and just always want the newest one. I think there's a ton of those ready to plop down for the new SNX. Maybe if they're smart, they improve the gross margin profile of those cars. So I think financially, that is one of the most exciting things kind of on the radar for them. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like that's, I think, one of the biggest problems that has happened over the last couple of quarters has been Model S and Model X being, you know, down significantly year over year, 50% or whatever it is. And like you said, those kind of at this point in the stage of the company have been the cash cows. And that's really impacted the financials. and and definitely hurt q1 so i think we have some reprieve from that a little bit with the raven powertrain and suspension updates but i think there's still like probably a huge number of people that are convinced there's going to be a refresh and are kind of just going to hold out until tesla does something there either with the exterior or the interior or whatever else it may be yeah hopefully both but just imagine how killer those s and x vehicles are going to be yeah, if you get the exterior and interior SNX refresh, I mean, just with that Project Raven update, I can't believe they got 35 miles yeah, like EPA 10% range. More efficiency out of just a powertrain update. Just yeah, just the refresh of the electric drivetrain. I think that's a big part of Tesla's efficiency advantage over other uh, EV makers. Is the majority has to be the powertrain, right? Yeah, I mean, that's something we've talked about a lot. I think you guys talked about it too, just the core efficiency table that you've worked on and mm-hmm. um, like where Tesla's getting that advantage from because they are so much more efficient for their weight um, in terms of the range they're getting out of the vehicles. And, you know, that comes down to a lot of things. But I think the biggest factor is probably Tesla's powertrain efficiency through both the motors and through their batteries. Um, and hopefully we're going to learn a lot more about that, you know, in Q3 or Q4 with the uh, powertrain and battery investor day which is super exciting. And yeah, I think your your efficiency table is probably one of the best nuggets of Tesla DD out there, just in terms of summing it up, the thesis. And I it, it even like it went over my head. I felt like it so, tied together so many thoughts and ideas I had, but I, no short has ever come close to debunking that. Like you can't, sh- like there's no, so I'm just curious, you know, kind of breaking down, I want to get dive deeper in that efficiency chart, what it is, why it's so important. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so it, the core efficiency formula that I made, basically you've got how many kilowatt hours of battery do you have in the vehicle? Uh, how many miles of EPA range does it go? And how many, how heavy is it? How many pounds does it weigh? Uh, so it's basically an interaction of that. How many kilowatt hours do you use per 100 miles of EPA range per 1000 pounds of weight? And the lower the number, the more efficient they are. Uh, and it's basically Tesla for all those vehicles at the top with the lowest numbers, the most efficient, and then there's a huge gap in between everyone else. And why is that important? Maybe Because, I mean, that's really what you want to optimize for when you're building a vehicle. You want to offer the most range for the least weight in the most efficient way possible um, Mm -hmm. because the biggest cost for electric vehicles is the battery. So the more optimal efficiency um, numbers you can hit, the fewer batteries you need to put to get an acceptable amount of range for the customers, um, which obviously over time has been a huge issue for electric vehicles in terms of their adoption, is range anxiety. And Tesla's done a phenomenal job of addressing those things. And their powertrain efficiency and things like that have um, definitely aided them in doing that. And the more that Tesla can drive that core efficiency, the 
better their margin profile is going to look, the cheaper the costs are going to be for the customers. It's just like that's the forcing function of um, value proposition. EV adoption, basically, yeah. as like that core efficiency, I think. Yeah, and it really, it's it's amazing to look at the other automakers because they can kind of cheat on their stats in terms of charge rate and, and range because they're, you know, maybe throwing more batteries in there. Yeah. And your efficiency chart will cut through that and you might be like, well, why does that matter if the stats are there? Because it means the gross margin, the costs of that vehicle are out of control. Yep. No, no legacy auto company mm-hmm. wants to disclose their gross margin on their EVs because they're buying everything from LG and they're getting crushed on margin. Yep. Yeah. And, you're, and you have actually the closest piece of data that proves that in my opinion, which is the efficiency table. And so not only is Tesla the longest range vehicles, which is amazing technology, but the cheapest cost to produce those battery cells is also- And they're getting the most out of every battery Mm -hmm. cell too. So it's like, yes, they have access to cheaper batteries and then they're getting more use out of an individual battery cell than another company is able to do because of their powertrain efficiency. Again, like the table kind of demonstrates. Yeah, I think the easiest way to sum it up is assume that Tesla and another EV maker, assume that they have the exact same vehicle shell, right? Mm -hmm. Tesla would have to put less batteries in their vehicle shell to go the same distance as the other shell, right? And that means uh, the other EV makers to match Tesla's range needs to add more batteries those batteries add weight, which means you need more energy in order to propel the vehicle the same distance. Uh, and then they also do like the software limitations on their battery packs and their batteries cost more than it costs Tesla. So that's like a quadruple hit essentially. And eventually that's all going to trickle down to the value proposition. And that's what you see with the Model Y versus like the Jaguar I-Pace. Mm-hmm. Very similar size vehicles, similar in weight as well, I believe. Uh, and one is the Model Y is going to be what, like twenty five, maybe thirty thousand dollars cheaper for right around there. Yeah. And the Model Y is still probably better. Mm-hmm. And and that's why people don't understand that. They and who knows if Jaguar Tesla, is even making money on the I Pace? Like exactly. they probably aren't. It's a money loser, right. probably. And that's where. Sorry, I've, Jaguar. <laughs> no, I'm like, I hope Einhorn's listening. <laughs> it's like, dude, you really but, even want the Model Y over that? Yeah. It's like, come on, bro. But this is where like everyone keeps saying. Tesla killers are coming. Competition is coming. Like Tesla's going to get wrecked once competition comes and they don't have the entire market to themselves. But the other EVs are not Tesla's competition. They yep. can offer the probably a better electric vehicle in comparison for twenty-five dollars or $30,000 less than the other EV makers. Tesla's true competition is not what Elon said, the trickle of EVs coming out from the legacy automakers, but the flood of internal combustion engine vehicles that go out of the plants every day. Love it. And it's like, think about it. There's 90 million cars sold each year. 2 million are electric. The 88 million is what we got to go after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really the crux of it. And let's, let's jump into Maxwell. Cause I feel like this is that this is we're, we're hitting on the edge of Tesla's already ahead here. And then it's like, okay, well, everyone else can catch up super quickly. I feel like that's one of the, the, the bare theses or something I would, you know, watch out for these companies with huge resources, amazing manufacturing, all types of connections, you know, can they get this to where Tesla is? And then you look at the Maxwell acquisition, what's that's implying? I think Tesla's even just pushing the battery powertrain day so hard and kind of like subtly hyping it up is a very clear single that they have news to drop or they have a a theory, there's something there. And so I think this lead's about to get even bigger. And that's the part what I think really, you know, 
So how do we get from 2 million to, you know, 50 million EVs sold and really take that market share? We need to take the technology one more step, I think. A little bit faster charging, a little bit cheaper, a little bit longer range. And Tesla is actually going to push that envelope with this new acquisition. And so, you know, whether it's six months or two years until this technology gets integrated, there's already a roadmap for something really, really exciting in the next generation. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, from the numbers that Maxwell shared in terms of like what they've been able to demonstrate from... um, I think it's like in their labs, right? They've been able to achieve like the 300 um, watt hours per kilogram metric versus, um, you know, Tesla today, anywhere from depending on the source, like 220 to 260. So um, that's right off the top, you know. And can, uh, what's that metric you're citing again? Um, so just the gravimetric energy density. So um, the number of watt hours per kilogram. So it comes back to like Matt's core efficiency of just the amount of energy that per weight that Tesla can fit into a battery cell essentially, or, you know, a combination of battery cells, battery packs. So um, the higher that number goes, the fewer batteries you need per range, which lowers cost, lowers weight. Um, and as you, again, lower weight, you can put fewer batteries. It's kind of like that self-fulfilling like cycle of like, um, there's sort of that like compounding effect, um, which is, we're talking about earlier, kind of the negative impact of that compounding effect is hitting the other manufacturers cause they can't be as efficient with the powertrain. Um, and as Tesla continues to improve that efficiency further, it gets the positive benefit of that compounding effect. So I think we're going to start seeing that, you know, hopefully with some of the Maxwell technology, I mean, we've been seeing it obviously over the years, but, um, Anytime there's a step change, like Tesla's been very solid in terms of like that progress that they've been making, you know, 5% per year kind of improvements, um, roughly. If there's a step change to that, like that's awesome. And like you said, that's kind of what you maybe worry about a little bit of like somebody else getting that step change. Yeah. Um, you know, if Tesla can do that, that's, you know, one, one fewer risk, um, or one less risk than, uh, before. Yeah. So the, the Maxwell acquisition potential, you've got the 20% cheaper battery cost, uh, and then going from like 300 to half a million mile range for the life of the electric vehicle to potentially a million for not only the battery pack, but also the drivetrain, right? So imagine that would also blow up the value proposition when you've got a vehicle that can last that long as well and be Which reliable you're gonna need for that for long. a robo taxi fleet for exactly. sure. Exactly. Huge advantage it would be. And then no cobalt, which is a conflict metal that basically all of it gets taken from like the Congo. Yeah. Um, so you can get rid of that. And as EVs and batteries are spiking, the cost of cobalt is increasing. So you want, they're down to like 2% now. Other automakers are around like what, seven or eight. Uh, and they could potentially take it out completely. So you save a lot of money and you don't have to um, basically promote that unsustainable uh, conflict supply chain. Uh, and then on top of that, the range and core efficiency skyrockets because of that increased energy density where they're going from to roughly 260 watt hours per kilogram now to like 300 is what they said they have proved. Didn't Elon just confirm that on Twitter? He just confirmed on Twitter 300. So that's an over 10% step change, right? So higher yeah, than that. I mean, we've talked about that tweet. Like, I'm not sure that that's like Tesla's number today. Um, Cause I think the wording, you'll have to pull up yeah. the tweets. So we can, not we'll, we'll, ma- it's not, it's not massive. I mean, you guys know me. I'm like yeah. very specific in terms <laughs> of like the like phrasing Rob. and stuff. He's, yeah. He's <laughs> pumping the, the brakes. Which matters. The, the details matter. Honestly. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying like from the wording that he used in that tweet, I'm not sure if that's just like, Hey, batteries are available today that are capable of achieving 300 watt hours yeah. per kilogram 
and that maybe, maybe those batteries are like more expensive or something but it's still achievable yeah um, small scale probably super yeah. expensive or maybe he's saying like maybe he's saying like tesla's got that technology available to themselves today like yeah that would be a step up from where the model 3 is at so um that seems like a little bit of a big thing to just mm-hmm. divulge in a random tweet but we i mean <laughs> well yeah. the, P- the poc of maxwell was 300 it's the right. same number yeah. so that yep. i think yeah. is the it clue. matches up so that's where it's right. probably he's talking about maxwell tech and you've got battery and powertrain day coming up so like highly it's likely that that's what he's referring to and that's where the 260 up to 300 currently uh at least proven on a small scale and then potential up to 500 and then another thing he just brought up was the electric jet. VTOL. Exactly. Matt's a big he fan of that. <laughs> Matty Mogo wants his electric dude, jet. I, I do. That is one of my life goals for sure. <laughs> but that's where uh, you just got to hit the 400. So if they're at you know 300 proven now and with a, with a clear path to 500 and you just need 400 to hit. And when I was on your podcast, we were saying conservative estimates just – five percent increase in energy density for lithium ion batteries even with a conservative uh estimate and no breakthroughs we said like nine years right so like 2028 or something and now he just also tweeted five years so you get that maxwell bump and then maybe some other breakthroughs along the way to hit that 400 kilowatt hour uh or 400 watt hours per kilogram mark and that's where I think in the next couple of years, people are going to start realizing that like they should start pricing in Tesla as an electric jet maker. But it's even to me, it's even bigger than that, which is the, it, it goes back to even broader, which is that the cheaper the batteries get, the cost of all this electric technology, you know, ways to produce, consume, store power all mm-hmm. get cheaper. So it's like the lower these costs go, the more industries and more you can disrupt, disrupt. time. So the VTOL yep. jet. Matty Mogul wants to buy it, and that's exciting. But think about the semi truck. Think about the Model Two, the twenty-five thousand dollar car. That's a little smaller market. You know, every single step. You know, every single five percent improvement, and it, it's sort of like I don't. I'm not doing a good job at describing it, but you know what I mean. Every percent. It opens down, up a new business area. It opens up yep. a new business mm-hmm. area. And I mean, so, the same thing with like. I think a great way to look at that is like utility scale energy, like with the power mm-hmm. packs. Like the the lower the cost of the power pack goes, the more that's going to make sense to replace current power options mm-hmm. you know um same with solar like the, the lower those costs go the more it can disrupt and that's like the path yeah. that tesla's driving towards and a big thing for the electric jet um not just like billionaires having like a cooler faster plane that can land anywhere um, but also the emissions so if you're talking about achieving tesla's mission of transitioning to sustainable energy mm-hmm. uh, that's huge and that also links to like why the semi-truck is super important I'm not going to buy one. I'm less excited about that, but I want to see them on the road because when we're at uh, Investor Autonomy Day, um, one of the Tesla semi workers at Tesla said that uh, even though semi trucks are only like 4% of the vehicles on the road, um, they cause like 30% of emissions. And it's like, whoa, okay. If you take, I mean... I'm not going to get one, but that seems like a great way to achieve Tesla's mission. 
Totally. And I think the constraint why we haven't heard much of the semi-truck goes back to this Maxwell thing and solving battery cell production at scale. I think one of the biggest decisions in Tesla's boardroom going on is we, we have a certain amount of really good cells. How, what's the best way to use them? You know, that's why they dropped the long range Model 3 without all wheel drive because it wasn't an efficient gross margin use of battery cells. So I think there's so many projects that get unlocked when the cell product, the scale cell production gets figured out, which is just one because I feel like people are the semi has kind of been on the back burner. I think it's been on the back burner for that exact reason i think that's kind of interesting to think about too in terms of like how tesla can best deploy batteries to lower Optimize. to lower um emissions in general mm -hmm. because that's like really if you go back to tesla's mission like that's what they should be doing um which kind of comes back to right now vehicle mix and whether that's you know incentivizing tesla to produce more standard range model threes sr pluses than long range because you know the, the more you mix towards the standard range, the more customers are going to be able to get a vehicle if you have a fixed battery um, supply because you just need fewer batteries per vehicle. So it'll be interesting to see like as Tesla's vehicle market or you know customer choices continue to expand um, where Tesla chooses to deploy those batteries. Like does it make more sense to produce one semi or does it make more sense to produce like 10 model threes, you know, whatever that ratio is. Um, in terms of cutting emissions, it's just going to be interesting to follow because I think Tesla's probably going to be pretty perpetually battery constrained. Um, yeah. Well, over hopefully time. that's not as big of an issue as we think it could be and kind of the battery. I mean, that's kind of what you hopefully. like, you, that's yeah, kind of exactly. what you want to be constrained by though, because if you're constrained yeah. by something else like yeah. that, just not too much. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, this, I is, mean, you don't want to be constrained by anything. Yeah. But like, I don't know. This goes back to Tesla's biggest problem, which is they can't build their products fast enough yeah. as fast as people want to pay for them. Right. If that is your biggest problem and constraints on your business, that is the best problem you want to have. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I always, and, and you actually made me think of something really interesting, which I tweeted in reply to that whole Ninja Elon thing, which is okay. So commercial planes, I take planes all the time, everywhere for business. And it's, I feel guilty and I'm like, I don't see the push for electric. I mean, I guess there's a couple startups like Right Electric, but it feels like Tesla, if you have that battery edge, this is your game to play. And so why have we not heard, is the VTOL jet, is that for billionaires in their private homes? But let's talk about the commercial flights that is becoming a grower, a growing piece of the economy in every single, in every single country around the world. They're just buying more and more planes. And so if, if the, if, you know, that is what I really would want to ask Elon Musk about is what is your plan? Are we, is Tesla going to tackle that piece of the equation or, you know, do you guys have any theories on that? Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is it kind of like the thought generated from like, does it make more sense to again, put like batteries towards assuming, you know, it makes sense from a, phys from a physics perspective. Does it make more sense to like deploy the batteries to like, commercial flight or does it make more sense to put batteries in like a semi like where but, but not even the timing just why won't elon admit that regardless of timing commercial airplanes is a, a business tesla will go in that's what confuses me i don't it's I get, just I get early the, is, and is, he's, is, he's, 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 he's already getting enough <laughs> okay. flack for talking about like Longer even tesla stuff. insurance which is probably likely to launch within a year even though it was already supposed to be launched already yeah they just said they needed to like complete a small acquisition for yeah. this <laughs> but it's just like that, that kind of stuff where everyone thinks that he's just deflecting when really it's just a really smart strategy that's going to create even more advantages with vertical integration yeah and i think we gotta like go back to the master plan too and like that's what tesla's focus is right now is completing the master plan and that's you know kind of the path that elon put forward for the company for you know, the next decade, whenever that came out two or three years ago. Um, and they're going to stick to that plan, you know, largely, and it's a great plan. And once that plan is achieved, then we can start to focus on some of these other opportunities, 
um, like commercial flight or whatever mm-hmm. else the case may be. Like maybe that's master plan part three. Yeah, focus is super master plan part three. Focus is super I mean, we're, important. It's, we're gonna get there at some point, right? Yeah. So Matt, you were talking about the ins- you mentioned the Tesla insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know why is that's a software eating the world problem? And Tesla's cars are generating more data being connected and being software first. That is, you know, insurance is a data business. So I hope Buffett is listening for Geico. You know, the amount of data that Tesla is able to pull per vehicle is orders of magnitudes more Mm -hmm. about the driving habits of that person. And therefore their, you know, their ability to make an educated estimate for the price of Mm -hmm. insurance is orders of magnitude higher. And so I think this is a huge opportunity to reinvent a a mega business that Tesla is getting into. I think it's three pieces. One, it's the convenience factor. I know me trying to get insurance on my Model 3, you have to go out, you have to get like all these quotes and um, solicit loans, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's just like a one-stop shop and Tesla making it easy to complete the purchase. Like to be able to just buy the vehicle and insurance uh, and get financing all through like just the mobile website with like a few clicks. That sounds pretty sweet. And then obviously they're arbitraging uh, the true cost of Tesla uh, insurance versus what these third-party insurers are charging. So they're charging too much. The true cost is here. So Tesla is going to arbitrage that with their own. Uh, And then I think kind of the last piece of the puzzle is just in some markets. So it's kind of fine here in the United States, but there's some countries where the cost to insure a Model S is like crazy through the roof expensive. So that's another way that uh, I think that that's kind of what they're trying to attack first is just improving the value proposition of of purchasing their vehicle because the insurance cost isn't astronomically high versus versus the cost here in the United States. 100% 100% agree with all that. I think Tesla's also looking a couple steps ahead to when they eventually have or start rolling out some of the Tesla network. And Tesla's going to be the only company that's really got the data that's equipped to ensure that. And I think they are anticipating having some challenges there that they're going to try to solve now and try to um, get the infrastructure in place with the insurance business so that they can um, have that insurance when they're ready to kind of like flip the switch and, mm-hmm. you know, and Start that the Tesla network. Yeah, and that's where you might need to like customize these insurance plans for full self-driving. Mm-hmm. And maybe Tesla needs to lead the charge there because they don't know what other people are going to do, so mm-hmm. they just kind of have to do it themselves. Exactly. And it was interesting at Autonomy Day where Elon said somebody asked him who's going to take liability in the event of like a crash or uh, injury, death, something like that with a full self-driving vehicle, yep. no human involved. Uh, and he said probably them. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reason why insurance, Tesla bringing insurance in-house makes a lot of sense. And this is where, like, if you just rattle, you know, those five things we just said, it makes a ton of sense. Yet everyone is giving Elon flack for saying that, oh, this is just distraction from their core business. Yeah, I mean, it's like, this is what Tesla makes sense. They're doing what makes sense. (laughs) And this is what Tesla's always done. Like, they anticipate the challenges that they're going to have because of the disruption that they're causing. And then they try to solve for them. It's the same thing of why Tesla, they talked about at the shareholders meeting, why they built the Gigafactory. They're like, um, okay, we're going to need a lot of batteries and they just aren't going to exist. So we're just going to have to do it. They're going to need to self-insure or they're going to need to insure like their robo-taxi fleet. Obviously, there's not an insurer that's equipped really to do that. Or if they are, it's going to be really expensive for Tesla to do that. So Tesla needs to solve that problem. And I think this is like the steps that they're putting in place to do that. Yeah. And it's not like insurance companies are fast moving. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly <not>. risk averse. <laughs> Neither are automakers. Exactly. So the combination of the two, that's where it just makes sense for Tesla to tackle this problem that isn't here yet, but it's going to be, and you need to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how when you dive into each facet of the business, the more bullish and convinced you get. That's kind of the funny thing I've said. And I was talking to someone about this. And they were like, why does everyone so obsessed with Tesla and get more obsessed? And I was like, because once you start learning about it and you start getting it and the deeper you dig, the more you realize how far, like they're literally doing a game plan that is 10 steps ahead and every single automaker is still trying to copy step one. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's crazy. Literally, yeah, like step one. Step like one. The Roadster, like there's still not, Elon says like the Model S, but there's still not even like a vehicle that's necessarily like the Roadster was, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. Yeah, and that's another place where um, Tesla has so many awesome business potential Yet the valuation you're at, you know, Cruise is at 20 billion based on their last round. And how it, yes, something like that. Yeah. So basically at the time, I don't know what it is now, but basically Cruise was valued at half of what Tesla is. Yet uh, they don't have EV bro- programs at scale. They don't have the energy storage business. They don't have the battery gigafactory. They don't have the supercharger network. They don't have the full self-driving hardware and software stack that Tesla's been developing for years now. Uh, they don't have the billions of real-world miles on autopilot and just drive, driving in like shadow mode. Uh, and then they don't have what I consider to be the best product roadmap in the world of any company by far. Yet you're worth half of Tesla. It's yeah. just, it's. I think we're going to look back on this, and I hope we do someday, <laughs> and just be like, okay, <laughs> that was crazy. That yeah. was absolutely crazy. I mean, the amount of eggs and the amount of like, I call it the honeymoon period where these companies unveil a plan, unveil a car, raising yeah. hundreds of millions at a billion valuation. It's like Tesla's done all the hard work that they're going to have to do. They already. haven't talked about it. They've just done it. They've just done it. And it's really hard. And that's why it's so easy to, to pick out one little piece of the business that is messing up or that you hate or in a one way Tesla's screwing up that. And it, I think that's part of the narrative why the media gets so confused because it's really easy to, to just pick on one little thing, but not really take a step back and look at the full picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm personally hoping the pendulum will swing, you know, cause I feel like right now it's so negative. It's so much hate and it's such a disconnect from, from what's happening at Tesla and the technology they're building. But I think at some point that, that pendulum swings, you know, mm-hmm. these controversial companies, that are disrupting like such crazy times. I think it's sort of a, it's almost a rite of passage for that type of disruption to get so much hate and attention in the media because it's a validation of your disruption. Yeah. I've almost started to love Tesla Q because the fact that I have tens and tens of people, you know, ever replying to every single tweet, just hating on me, I don't follow any of them. <laughs> I don't tweet back at any of them. And they're just taking their time to hate on me, whether they're yeah. bots or not, is a disruption that my content's good, that I'm kind of right, and that they're rattled, and they're worried, and that they're giving free attention. So it's like, yeah. to me, it's almost a validation that Tesla's doing something right, that they're getting so much hate. The, like, the amount of accounts that are strictly created just to comment on Tesla, it's like, wow, that's what you're doing with your time? You just, <laughs> like, you're right? creating accounts solely dedicated to like tweet about Tesla, Tesla or like comment on seeking alpha. Yeah, or like does that happen? Yahoo does that or... happen with any other company? I mean, like Apple got a lot of hate too back in the day. And well, like, so Amazon Amazon like I don't, dude, I don't think it's this level. It's not but... even close. No, but, but if you read the, the articles about Amazon, they will say like they're on the cusp of bankruptcy. Like mm-hmm. they're not making a money. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they, it is pretty it's, aggressive. There are, sim- are similar narratives have existed for like all three of those companies. Tesla yeah. is to an extreme, hundred percent agree with that. But Tesla's also disrupting times 10. 
disrupting more yeah political industries i guess not even political but just like well established well established and literally entrenched in in very like very very entrenched and very Mm -hmm. very powerful too like yeah i think the the spaces that amazon and apple were disrupting were a little bit less consolidated in like where the power was truly at Mm -hmm. um as well as just like less power in general than the companies and the industries that tesla isn't disrupting Mm mm-hmm and what I think is even more ridiculous is like all of these big hedge fund guys, John Hempton, Josh Wolf, Jim Chanos, they're all on Twitter replying to my tweets, following my stuff, calling me out, like calling me names. And then well, I ask them to come. Dude, you're a no, pretty no, no, big deal. No, no, but check this out. And it's just like, <laughs> come on my podcast. Let's talk about it. Like, right. I'm here. Like, any of you guys can come on my podcast. Yeah. Like, like, Same. I've up? invited bears you know like I mean? on the like, podcast. But are yeah. you really like a multi-million dollar hedge fund manager who's just going to sit behind your computer and fire off an angry tweet? Yeah. And like let's literally podcast? talk about like, it. You know, that's what frustrates me so me. much like, with Tesla Q is like they just like spew all this stuff out there and they're like, that's fine. Like if you think that, like, let's talk about it. None yeah. of us are like so biased that we don't just want to get to the bottom of it. Like anonymous keyboard warriors. Yeah. Like I've had plenty of times where I've said negative things about Tesla, like many, many times. Like I'm fine to just like get the facts out there yeah. but you are a tesla bear i am basically you are a tesla, tesla bear. Bear. <laughs> these guys give me a lot of crap for no. being negative sometimes but and then no, like, no, we like dude problem. like long term no he's, and I'm a, like, he's I a good get check it. he's a good check yeah. checks and balances i just like to see both like yeah i just try to like get both sides of it yeah and no, it's like good. i definitely know where i fall after that but it's fine to acknowledge the negatives too as mm-hmm. long as it's not um, totally well, and if you've got so many of your eggs in one basket, you got to watch that. Basket yeah, you got to question it exactly. So Which I have a lot of eggs in the basket. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. I mean, yeah. Needless to say, we're all right. biased. We're all Tesla investors for sure. Um, but we're watching that basket so so closely mm-hmm. because you want to be on the yeah, cutting edge like of hours a day. Yeah. Wrong. Um, well, I think it's it's so interesting because I actually kind of chose to do hyperchange strategically, and maybe this is part of what you did because I almost feel like planting my flag when no one is, when there's so much controversy, when no one believes it, and being that and like putting it out there is actually what's gonna get me the cred. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't fall into this by accident. Tesla, like this is all on purpose because I think it's gonna be so controversial and it's gonna be so right that when it's so right and it was so hard, like it just makes it that much sweeter. Like the harder they come, the harder they fall, Jimmy Mm -hmm. Cliff. And I just think that's exactly what's going on right now. And it's, it's so funny because I've never really felt like this weird kind of inner thing of like, it's never been more locked down for Tesla. They closed the Maxwell deal. The cash flow profile is improving. The Model 3 is here. I mean, this was like Gen And the Model 3, 3 is awesome. Project Blue yeah. Star. It's awesome. It was it's literally so called good. Project it's awesome. Blue Star when I, yeah. we started following it. Like it didn't exist. And now it's like on the, now I, we arrived in Maddie Mogul's Model 3 and it's amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's just incredible. So. And, um, and that's where like anytime things get really bad and really negative, I just keep going back to how incredible the product is. Mm-hmm. The Model 3 is amazing and that's why it's the best selling car by revenue. Um, so I think just that and then maybe more short term S&P 500 induction and then you've got the China Gigafactory going up. We should talk about that. <laughs> SNX interior, maybe exterior as well, refresh, um, Maxwell full self-driving feature complete hopefully within the next you know year or two uh i mean we got a demo we don't know how game that was but it was pretty impressive and it's not like they were attaching other sensors to it so i don't know i just think there's a ton of catalysts coming up Um, but what's most important long term when we look back is that just the revenue growth and that's what's gonna keep compressing the multiple and then eventually the stock price is gonna catch up Mm-hmm. Agree.
Yeah, let's talk about China because you were a big Apple investor. I don't know if we talked about this in mm-hmm. the last podcast, but yep. like years and years ago, iPhone early days. Um, well, you were you were as well, right, Rob? Mm-hmm. So did you beat me or did I beat you in terms of first purchase? Like, yeah, when I was <laughs> two thousand six, sixty-seven bucks before the split. Okay, I was two thousand six too, but I can't remember the probably split around price. the same time, probably same person, same. Yeah, and so, no, that's awesome. Sorry, we had to bro out for a second. <laughs> I respect the bro out. I got some FOMO. Julian, who's actually in the other room, bought Apple stock in third grade. Like, yeah, dude, what a baller. He's a baller, and he loves Steve Jobs. So I've always been surrounded by the Apple heads. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, there's a, so many parallels in terms of the brand, the cult, the, in a good way, the cult. People are so obsessed about the product because they're so amazing and so different. I think there's a lot of parallels there. But even back to the China thing, one of the big catalysts for you and, and for, te- for Apple to really break out was China hitting it as that luxury brand in China and exploding there with the middle class and really like finding their stride. Um, and I think we're on the cusp of that happening with Tesla. They're already crushing mm-hmm. it in China with so many headwinds, the import tariffs, the cash flow profile of how to get cars there, you know, the, the shipping costs, there no so access many to headwinds. the incentives every, that other EVs are getting. exactly yep. every yeah. other EVs has incentives. Is it a coincidence that those incentives are dying down right as the first officially or foreign owned it's happened elsewhere. Like we saw that in Canada. For I think sure. this is a, you know, when the Chinese government wants something to work, it works. Right. It happens. Yep. This is not a joke. And when you see banks like the Pudong Bank giving really low interest rates to finance it, and they're giving like finance the vehicle purchase and finance the actual factory building, this is a clear indication they want this to work and be a huge success. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't realize that's the world's on the cusp of being the world's largest economy that's incredibly powerful is pushing for Tesla. No other automaker has this. And and Tesla is just such a desirable product and brand. And what's going to happen, I think, and just following the Apple story so closely for years, it was the iPhone 4. And all of a sudden, you've got that that great product, the brand desirability, status symbol, and then you've got that growing Chinese middle class. And then all of a sudden, they sign like China Unicom, China Telecom, then the big China Mobile. And as soon as they did that... Uh, Apple stock just went on a tear with with that iPhone 4. Um, so I'm thinking that a, a similar thing happens just with the, the China boon for Tesla. Yeah, and I got one really interesting tidbit, which is that the labor hours all-in cost of a worker in Fremont is about $50 to $60, like hourly wage with insurance, health, mm-hmm. or whatever, I guess. In China, the data that I'm looking at, people I'm talking to say it could be between 5 to 6 and I think they're going to use, they learned their lesson about automation and you have the much cheaper labor and you have the pace of innovation with the tent. This is the next generation production line as well. And I know they're saying the made in China Model 3 is still going to cost the same base price, including the VAT of the, the one here. Mm-hmm. And if they keep Value that and, the demand, and the, man, the demand is there, then the margins are much higher than the U.S. business. Or they can drop the price and we're going to see a massive acceleration in demand. And mm-hmm. you, you combine it. Addressable market will multiply. Yeah, which I think that's more my expectation and that more fits with like what Tesla's done over time. They continue to try to just drive costs as low as they possibly can for the final customer. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they're just kind of starting a little bit higher with because yeah. the Model 3 came in a little bit higher with. Um, we know this is what they're doing. That's right. the playbook they followed. They optimize for cash and revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people are willing to buy at a higher price, they will offer it when there's lower volume, um, get that optimized cash and revenue and then bring down the price, increase the addressable market as their volume increases. Mm-hmm. 
because at first like definitely the model or the giga three is going to be low production you know hopefully it ramps up super quickly but like those first model threes off the line those are going to you know be very expensive for tesla to make in terms of like just the amortization of depreciation and stuff like that so um once tesla's got it ramped up to you know three thousand and five thousand units per week hopefully they can bring that cost down or that final price down pretty significantly and that i think what they're doing is the margin of the osborne effect is what they want to limit it so they didn't want to drop the price too much and say in six months you could buy it for way cheaper but you can buy it for a little cheaper so they're 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 managing that rate of osborne effect mm-hmm. really that's such a careful dance and people don't i think that's something that they don't appreciate with tesla and why it's so lumpy is because it's such a big purchase people are looking right. so into it there's so many dynamic mm-hmm. and tesla comes out with so many new products so quickly that the osborne effect is something they're constantly having to yeah. delicately balance mm-hmm. and it's really really tricky but they've done an incredible job yeah and, and the the cutting prices thesis of the bears as well what we <laughs> saw is that the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit when that got halved Tesla did lower the prices. $2,000 basically. Yeah. And what happened is even though they cut the price, they maintained that 20% Model 3 margin. So that just shows like their cost efficiency as they increase the volume as well. Like how do you, you can't rag on them for cutting prices when their entire mission is to make EVs go mainstream and they're keeping their, their margin at the same rate. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, a fine balance, I think, because yeah. you could also argue that if Tesla was able to sell it for a higher price, that would then allow them to have more cash to grow the business, which would then allow them to accelerate the advent of sustainable energy more quickly. But it's, so it's a tricky balance, but against it's, other automakers. It's still a positive that Tesla's yeah. able to do that, which is your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20% gross margin yep. is good. Mm-hmm. So if you're still maintaining that, then that's a fine thing. And all you are is lowering the price, increasing the addressable market, which is eventually going to lead to not only more volume and more top line revenue and eventually more cash flow, um, but it also achieves the mission of transitioning to sustainable energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not about the 2 million EVs boosting margin. I think it's about cutting into that 88 million of other vehicles. And that my my, my take on this is it's so funny when people hate on them for cutting the price. And I'm like, so Tesla's product stayed the same. They cut the price by however many grand it's getting. They just got that much more competitive. Every other automaker just got that much more rattled. They didn't cut their prices. They're not cutting their prices. Tesla every single time, every day with the software improving, every time they cut the prices, the value proposition of Tesla's products, the rate of improvement of that value proposition position is blowing away everyone else in the industry and the, that is what you have to look at is mm-hmm, the pace of innovation mm-hmm. but like on that customer level it is it is incredible the entire point is to for electric vehicles to achieve cost parity with internal combustion engine vehicles in order to do that you need to lower the prices to the comparable ice vehicles that's the whole point <laughs> so yeah i mean as long as they keep their margins i don't know do you guys think that with another tax credit having from the 3750 to uh, 1875 18, yeah um if they'll drop price again what do you think like a thousand bucks maybe that's what i thought originally because when they had done that back at the beginning of q1 it happened in like january 2nd it was like right away right after the tax credit went away mm-hmm. and now we're you know whatever seven days into july and it hasn't happened yet so I think a couple things have changed though, because like in Q1, Tesla also released, you know, a standard range earlier than we thought they would. Cause at that point it was kind of like, okay, probably like three to six months. And then it just kind of happened that one day. And then <laughs> had, leasing. Like, that call. So that's and then kind leasing. of a double boost to mm-hmm. addressable market. Mm-hmm. So I think they've, they pulled a lot of those levers in Q1 already that I don't know that they're going to do a, something again in Q2 and we haven't, or sorry, 
Q3, mm-hmm. and we haven't really seen it yet. So and maybe battery constrained, anyways. Right. I mean, ideally, they don't have to drop prices. Like, if there's enough demand, like you should capture that margin. It's a mistake not to. Yeah. So, um, while they're production constrained. Yeah. So it's. I think it's a good sign if we don't see them drop prices. But if they do, I don't. Def- also, don't think it's something to be majorly concerned about because that's a huge. You know, that's a big change. Two thousand dollars, basically. Um, price increase in the u.s essentially yeah i'm really curious what happens with leasing like what is that mix shift what is the impact on on cash yeah and uh, i think it's inter- tesla's leases are interesting i don't think any of us have done su- dug super deep onto this but um just the fact that you can't even have the buyout option for tesla kind of disincentivizes the leasing a little bit um and i think they if, don't want people to lease the vehicle yeah and i think in terms of just like the cost structure as well like Again, I haven't dug super deep onto it, but I think like, you know, the amount that you have to put up as the down payment and then just the the pricing is, you know, decently competitive, but it's not anything like amazing. No, it's um, high. It's high. Right. So I think they're they're doing a lot of things to disincentivize that. So I don't think it's going to be like super huge into the mix um, mm-hmm. in terms of leasing. But yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to see when, when we get the financials, I guess. So like to wrap it up and kind of close, I want to hit on like some juicy kind of like way this unfolds because I have a lot of strong opinions. So maybe I'll do like a little riff and then see what you guys think. Because what I think is, you know, what, what I say, like we're on a slingshot moment for Tesla, extremely excited about this this slew of positive catalysts. I see Q3, I hope it's Q3, SNX refresh, huge demand boost from that. This is the catalyst that people don't see coming that finally hits, which allows them to hit their guidance, which no one believes in. That is a huge catalyst. Then in Q4, we get the very tail end of the Shanghai Giga factory coming online. And then I think that sort of brings the revenue to the next level. And then in 2020, uh, one really interesting thing that Julian actually noticed was like a board of directors glance at the Model Y production timeline. So if they're building that at Fremont instead of Giga, I think that's a move to bring it to market quicker. I think we could actually see them under promise and over deliver on model Y timelines. And that comes sooner into the play in 2020. Um, Then we have the pickup truck, which I think in terms of halo effect of the brand, I mean, there's already data out there that's showing that the the Tesla pickup truck is getting more searches than the Ford pickup truck. I mean, this is crazy in like half the country. This is absurd. I mean, (laughs) so anyway, I don't know. I I threw a lot at you guys right there, but I'm curious, like what's top of mind? What's what gets you excited about what's coming down the pipeline? I mean, for me, the biggest thing is just watching the progress in full self-driving because I think that's, like we talked about earlier, that's the unlock to just an entirely different company mm-hmm. um, for Tesla. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then Elon you know, said it himself, the second biggest thing to watch is battery production. Um, so for me, that comes down to um, how quickly they're able to increase the production at Gigafactory 1, how quickly Gigafactory 3 is able to ramp up, and then kind of what the impact of the Maxwell acquisition um, is and how quickly that can happen. And hopefully we get some insight into those things um, at the Battery and Powertrain Investor Day. So super excited about that. Um, Those are the two big things. Like to me, it doesn't really matter too much where, like when the semi comes online, when the pickup comes online, when the Model Y comes online, because hopefully Tesla is able to sell everything that they can produce Mm -hmm. until those things happen. And again, like I kind of want them to be better constrained if they're going to be constrained by something, because I feel like that's probably the most difficult problem to solve. Um, so hopefully they're able to solve those other problems kind of ahead of time and just the battery production is kind of the limiting thing of the company and hopefully they can, you know, improve those limits and drive through that, um, constraint like super, super quickly, like they have, you know, over the last 10 years or whatever. So those are kind of the big things for me in terms of like when things actually happen. Like, yeah, I wish 
you know, the semi was kind of like here already. I think that was kind of the original guidance was 2019 or something. And now we don't really, I don't know, 2020 is kind of what it's looking like. So mm-hmm. if, if even that, so, um, yeah, it's all just comes back to the batteries for me and, and then autonomy. Yeah. And Elon said that mm-hmm. at the most recent event, he was just like it, the things that people should be focusing on, it's long-term, it's battery technology and scale and it's self-driving. Yep. Those two things are clearly the core competencies that are going to create differentiation and mm-hmm. value because the future is um, ev it's autonomous so yeah like, that's what we yeah. need so that's where the powertrain battery investor day that might be coming up later this summer uh will be an interesting thing to watch and see what their strategy is and further vertical integration maybe even their own mining battery or cells, you yeah. know, something like that uh and classic tesla just yeah. keeps going <laughs> buy a mining company i've heard actually some interesting rumors someone sent me a really interesting mining project in nevada that's getting started for lithium that's like mm. not too far that they pitch we're pitching as tesla will acquire them i wish i had it's thacker is like maybe the name okay. of the project Haven't t-h-a-c-e-r yeah. or something like that yeah it's interesting and then the other thing is just full self-driving feature complete that I mean, he said by the end of the year, even if it's by the kind of the the end of the year after that, that's still fine because that would be super cool. Because I mean, yeah, I think it's more about them just kind of maintaining their leadership position. Yeah, it doesn't. This is another thing that people don't really understand Mm -hmm. is that what matters isn't how quickly the date that it happens, the date that Tesla achieves full self driving. All that matters is that they get there before anyone else. Yep. That is the the main thing that matters as an investor mm-hmm. long term because we're going to be in the stock for ten plus years from here. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that means it's highly likely that you can achieve at least level four autonomy and do the whole ride sharing network. So it doesn't matter if Elon's predictions of okay this is going to happen at this time. That is kind of a distraction. What matters is that they have a lead on other automakers and they get there first. And I just, I mean, that demo was so cool. I want that push to my car. I want that beta software um, so that I can see how capable it is. So that's what I'm looking forward to most is just like seeing the advancements in my Tesla Model 3 and just see the progress and rate of improvement because that's the thing that I'm most fascinated by. And any like, we're going to say, Go ahead. I was just going to ask for any crazy predictions from the battery powertrain day. I think they should throw up a, a, cool a better designed version of maddie mogul's efficiency table and then add in the efficiency of potential of their next generation technology but i just think they should show your table (laughs) (laughs) that'd be cool but yeah i mean what tesla and elon uses they use the miles per kilowatt hour Mm -hmm. and i mean that's like fine but that's another thing where if you look at the hyundai ionic that's also over four so i think tesla puts out like we're at 4.5 the Ionic is like kind of close at like four. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, that doesn't show the gap that exists between Tesla's kind of core efficiency. Because it doesn't Uh, factor in that the Model 3's got a longer range, which requires more batteries, which adds more weight, which makes the overall profile of the vehicle less efficient, which is why going back to the core efficiency, why you include weight, all the stuff that we talked about, it doesn't capture that. Yeah, exactly. And what what you said, why is it so important Tesla gets first? Not that it matters when, but that they're first. Because this is potentially, mm-hmm. the. it's hard to wrap your head around how big of a no- monopoly that would be. The cost structure goes down from 
250 a mile to 25 yeah. cents a mile to right. operate a taxi it, right. it changes the entire it disrupts the entire business model of transportation so if it never happens then that's fine because tesla will just continue to sell more electric vehicles yeah. and keep displacing ice vehicles uh, and but even if, if it, it does happen and it's somebody else and not tesla then they could get disrupted. People stop buying as many cars because vehicle utilization rate spikes from like 5% to the majority. Um, and that's where like you just got to get there first if it happens. But as long as, as long as if it doesn't happen or Tesla gets there first, then we are set as investors. The problem with it, if it doesn't happen, is if Tesla builds their business model around that, like Elon said, that basically all of their R&D is pretty much going into like full self-driving. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Not that I think this is ever going to happen, but if they set up their business from a cost structure perspective with the assumption that they'll achieve that and then they don't, that could potentially lead to failure. But hopefully it wouldn't. That would be... It would just yeah, lead to better full cell. It would just lead to better assisted driving. Assisted driving. So either right. way, I think the R and D ends up being worth it. I and think it's definitely and worth a it proportionally too. great investment mm -hmm. based on. I mean, they're definitely going to achieve those features. It's just a matter of time. Whether right. you can completely take the driver out is not a certainty right. yet. Right. And it's almost like you, sh even if you don't know if you can do it, you almost should because somebody's going to yeah. get there and mm -hmm. you're, if it's not you, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And so, I mean, 100 and, agree and the other thing I think that. is even more exciting to me is the way our cities are built all revolves around the car. You have to have a car. Everyone owns a car. The way our houses are built. I mean, this is the way society has been structured for Everyone decades. uses a car. Yeah, yeah it is. Use it. It's it's a, the, it's your biggest purchase that you probably, one of the things you spend the most money on. I mean, this is like the way cities and life could change with this technology is the part, I don't know, that's what gets crazy to me because yeah. I think there's so much opportunity. We're just scratching the surface of, um, yeah. And, and that's another reason why in vehicles like, if somebody wants to buy an electric vehicle, what helps Tesla is that it's such a large purchase that research, a lot of research research is done for that uh, purchase. So test driving, reading, comparing specs, all that stuff. And that helps Tesla a lot because it is so much better based on objective, measurable, hard specs. Awesome. Excellent way to end the podcast. So that's it, that's it for time. Thank you guys so much. I really hope we can do this again. Maddie Mogul, co-founder or CEO, founder of Tomb Dips and awesome Tesla analyst. Follow him on Twitter. Rob, if you guys aren't listening to his podcast again, definitely follow him on Twitter. Um, you guys have any shout outs that you want to give or anything like that? No. <laughs> Good. Good. All right. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Peace.